Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda podcast. My name is Angela Priestley. And my name is Shivani Gopal. How are you, Shivani? What are we going to talk about today? Today we're talking about women entrepreneurship because, of course, this week is the week of women entrepreneurs. It is, it is. And as entrepreneurs ourselves, we didn't actually get to record this on Women's Entrepreneurship Day, but that doesn't mean we're not going to talk about women's entrepreneurship. So let's get stuck into it. (laughs) No. Okay, so Shivani, you are the CEO of two businesses, which I always find quite amazing. And also the fact that you also uh, have managed to be studying an MBA over the last few years and you're almost finished which I actually didn't realise. Well, I think we've spoken about it before, but it's one of those things that I just realised that you've been doing in the background this whole time. So what is your life like? What do your days look like? How do you actually operate between multiple businesses? How do you organise your time? Because it is, it does seem to me like the, the test of an entrepreneur in that way is the fact that you can work across multiple things like that. Yeah, you, look, you really can. And I think the wonderful thing about, entrepreneurship, especially in this decade, is that there is a rise of multi-passionate entrepreneurship. And people are really getting to this stage of, you know, I guess Maslow's hierarchy of self-actualization. And they're realizing I'm multi-talented, I'm multi-capable, and with the right team behind me, I can achieve, you know, some really great things for, for the world, for, for my business, and, you know, whatever goals I have. And, and that's definitely the mindset that I have. Uh, and it's all about your team. It's all about your people. Um, and, and that's, I guess, how I make it happen. So, you know, in some ways, I, I guess in my head, it just it just happens. You squish it all together and you make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, but in reality, it's all about priorities, right? It's all about what is most important? What do I really need to work on? Um, and what are the most impactful steps that are going to get me there? And, and I actually use, you know, a a methodology. I've got lots of little methodologies or, or mantras or syntax that I use in my day-to-day life. Um, and frustrate, frustratingly for my family and friends, I sometimes bring it into <laughs> into friendly conversations. Well, no, actually, Barney, you're not at work right now. And I'm like, yeah, fine. Um, but, you know, I use a methodology called the ICE methodology to sometimes help me get really, really focused and work on the things that are really important. So ICE stands for implementation, confidence um, of impact. Um, yep. and ease of execution and I'll give everything sort of a rating out of 10 and the, and then I add it up to 30 and so the, the, if I've got lots of things that I want to work on but something has a higher rating out of 30 I'll, I'll go with that because it's it's obviously going to make um, it's going to be easy to implement and um, and have the right level of impact and um, and the ease of execution well is not going to be too expensive or too time consuming so I, I guess I work in that way and then there's delegation right so um, of course, I'm the CEO of The Remarkable Woman. Um, I founded and was the CEO of Upstreet. I've now let my co-founders actually run that and one of my co-founders has taken up the mantle for the CEO-ship, which is great, uh, which, which enables me to really just focus on being the entrepreneur for that business whilst um, being the CEO for this business here at The Remarkable Woman. Mm. Um, and, and also, you know, I guess um, breathe, sleep, um, eat and um, be with my family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, I I think that 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 matrix idea is really interesting and clever, and it's a good way to applying numbers to things. And it, I mean, you don't have to do this if you're running a business. You can do this in any type of work, or you can do it to totally. really assess any kind of opportunity as well to see if it aligns with your values or your goals or something else. But that 
being able to put a number on something to say, okay, this adds up to, I, I can calculate it this way. Therefore, you can take some of the emotion out of it and therefore you might be a little bit more comfortable uh, saying yes, saying no to things and obviously maybe delegating things or completely removing them from your list altogether. Yeah, look, absolutely. And I, I think that's so important because when you get your emotion involved, you can, you know, not only um, is there so many shades of grey with emotion, um, but also you can get analysis paralysis, right? Yeah. And you can go, but what about this? What about that? I should probably look into this. Whereas numbers are just so rudimentary. It's just black and white. You know, you don't, you can't give yourself a 5.5. It's either a 5 or a 6. You've got to give yourself whole numbers so that you can, um, you know, make a call on something. Um, and it's really helpful. In fact, um, I was once coaching a, a, a senior woman, incredible, uh, had a huge penal responsibility, uh, incredible in terms of her talent. Uh, but she, you know, like many of us, is a very, you know, multi-passionate, multi-capable woman. And one of the perils with this, uh, because of course every strength has a, has a dark shadow behind it, right? Uh, one of the perils with this was that she just had too many ideas. And then she wanted to execute those ideas. Mm. Um, but you can't execute every single idea. And so I gave her the ice method and said, you know, why don't you try this? And, and, and it really, it, it really blew her mind. It really helped her get really clear on, okay, these are not viable. These are the ones that I'm going to go with. And you, you can, you can do that with anything. Yes. I think I might need to get you to send me the method as well. Along with your workout routine that we we're just discussing prior to this conversation, <laughs> that's what that's what uh, we have uh, colleagues and friends and a network for. So, women's entrepreneurship in Australia. So, uh, you've really been at the coalface of this. I I consider myself an entrepreneur as well. This has been a bit of a long journey to actually call myself an entrepreneur. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, I've kind of resisted the term. But now I do think of myself as a, a co-founder in um, Agenda Media, which is the um, the parent company to Women's Agenda. And I've got a co-founder, uh, Tyler Lambert, and we've got big ideas and ambitions for our business. We've kind of moved on beyond uh, thinking of just the day-to-day running of our publication, which is really exciting but obviously throws up a lot of challenges as well but um, I have been writing for you know many years about entrepreneurship and particularly uh, women's entrepreneurship as well and always always we see the figures and the lack of VC funding that goes to women and it is less than five percent and it's hardly moving and it's a figure that I can't even you, it's, it's difficult to even fathom that, how it can be so tiny, especially when we've seen such a push to get more women interested in entrepreneurship. There's a huge push in terms of the networks and various other things and resources available. Like you're not really short of um, accessing various things to be able to kind of uh, get any education and learning along the way. But there's obviously something going on when it comes to the VCs, probably starting with the fact that the majority of them are male and there's obviously bias stepping in at that point or we'd see Mm -hmm. a different story in terms of the spread of where the money is going. You have raised capital. Is there anything you can share about your experiences um, if you've come across any of that bias or any ideas in general on what is going on? Look, I I definitely have. I mean, the the whole point about raising capital is in order to successfully raise capital, you're going to get so many no's tens of no's before you get your first yes. And every entrepreneur knows this when when you're going out and asking for money. In fact, if you don't know or prepare yourself for the no, 
um, prepare yourself for all of the objections before you even get into the room so that you um, have ready responses respectfully. Um, you have ready responses already there and you can, you know, almost, you know, weave it into your presentation um, because you, you simply are going to get some no's and that's going to happen. But sometimes there have been no's or there have been levels of feedback where I've gone, there's a lot of bias embedded into this. And so, I, yes, I have seen it at the call face. And, yes, even then, I have successfully raised capital for both of my businesses that I founded. Mm. Um, and, and I'll tell you some of the key things that I've noticed. So few women in entrepreneurship and even fewer women in tech entrepreneurship. And both of my businesses are tech. And tech businesses are, are easier to get funding for because they, they end up giving you, well, not all of them, of course, mm. um, but by and large, um, tech businesses, when they are successful, end mm. up giving you a really good J-curve um, of what is what you know investors call it. And mm. a J-curve is basically think about the two axes of, of growth. So you've got your, um, you've got your, your, your bottom axis, um, you know, which is around um, around time, and you've got your top access, which is around percentage of growth or, or dollars coming in, and then you've got this J because you know it, it, it's a really quick uptick of um, of returns, um, and that happens generally because initially you're spending a whole bunch of money on on human capital, on tech build, um, on compliance, all that sort of stuff, and so it goes down, and then once you've got that product up, you spent money on marketing, it goes boom, and it goes up, and it's generally not as much money required in the maintenance of that tech. You've just got to keep it going, but it's not as intensive capital mm, um, okay. requirements. Yeah. Um, so we need more women essentially in, in tech um, so that we have more normalization of women in tech and women entrepreneurship to start to break down those biases. Um, but I've certainly seen it, Angela. And, and, and I and I personally, even when I was looking for co-founders early on in, in my second business um, venture, um, you know, I, I was asked questions when I was, I guess, founder dating myself. Um, you know, so Shivani, you don't have kids right now. When are you planning to have kids? Um, you know, how much mat leave do you think about taking? And I thought, goodness, have, have you guys done your research? Do you have any idea who you're talking to? Because you're speaking to some, a woman who is highly informed about gender bias. And I'm going to call you out on this any second now, but I'm just going to let you dig your little, um, your little hole for yourself and then, and then I'll give you a bit of a talking to. Um, so it, it, it happens quite a lot. And, and you, you've got the disadvantage of having to work over and around that and prove your credibility, whereas with male founders, they've already got given credibility and all they've got to talk about is the business viability. So, mm. so there's a, a huge challenge there for women founders. I feel like often some of those male founders can go in with, with so much confidence <laughs> that it is just going to happen. And I'm not saying that – it's not that I, I necessarily think that women are less confident than men or anything, but for whatever reason, uh, in that type of situation, and you can understand why when we know that so much of that capital will go and does go to men, that they, they go in with, with like such an idea that this will definitely happen. <laughs> um, I mean, on tech businesses, I, I guess I would argue – and, and this is where it's hard. Maybe the, this is not the area that will get the funding. Maybe this is not the area that will create the unicorns of the future. But I wrote a piece uh, yesterday that looked at um, the care sector and how this isn't like all these sectors, if we think healthcare, childcare, aged care, um, care for people with disabilities and all sorts of care. It just seems like they're the spaces that should be ripe for entrepreneurial opportunities right now. And in my piece yesterday, I highlighted a few examples of women just doing that. And then I looked at the fact, well, the people who are really well-placed to build those sorts of businesses are 
the people who already work in those places. So teachers, nurses, social workers, uh, early childhood educators and the like. And then, of course, those sectors, as we know, are absolutely dominated by women. So I just think that this is the space for, for innovation and some really interesting stuff to emerge because we know that there are so many fixes that are required in many of these places. And and that along with that also put it in there, anything that we can do around climate action, climate change, reducing uh, waste, reducing emissions, et cetera, that's another space where I just think is is just ripe for opportunities as well. What do you, what do you think on that? Because I know it, it always seems like you, you go for the tech business, you go for the fintech business, but what about the other ideas that are, are lurking in the background? They might have a tech component, but you know ultimately they're about improving something often around care, often about how we look after each other. Oh, and, and they are so important. And, and and you're right, Ange, I think so much emphasis goes on, let's, you know, let's create support systems for businesses that have these really high levels of, um, you know, financial viability, the J curve that I talked about, right? Um, but what about the businesses that are really going to change the world and really going to impact humanity? And there is a lot of talk about social enterprises, which is, mm. you know, a business existing for social good. Um, or a business that is, you know, a profits with purpose business. Mm. Uh, and and I, I deliberately say with purpose rather than over purpose because I think it's so important that um, women share the shame around, um, oh, I've got a, a business that does really, you know, good for the world. Oh, but I decided to make it, you know, a full profit business. You know, go for it. There's no reason why you can't, you know, run a business that does good for the world and it be for profit. You know, you absolutely should. There's a bit of, you know, pressure on that. So I, I think there needs to be a lot of infrastructure around that and um, mm. for that to happen. The, the hard thing about entrepreneurship is you're leaving so much on the table, right, mm. to, to pursue a dream, to pursue a passion, to fill a vision. You and I both know this, mm. um, where you're, you're leaving a good stable income on the table. You're leaving weekends. You're leaving eight hours of sleep every night. You're leaving the ability to cough off at a certain time. I mean, we know that more, more than ever people work over time and they're so committed to their roles. But all in all, you're still leaving that ability to do that, right? Mm. And you're walking into a massive realm of uncertainty. This stuff doesn't doesn't just happen. You need to cultivate and create that and create support systems. So if you if you jump off that cliff, you have every resource around you to be able to build that parachute before you hit the ground. Mm. Mm. Yes, and I think there's probably and there is. I see some of this happening. But when you talk about those early stages, there's there's good scope for large corporates to get involved. And I know that we've seen that. I think from you know HCS HCF rather have done that in the healthcare space. Telstra's obviously done it. So there are some you know the corporate accelerator thing that that I mean I hope we can see more of to to really support some of these businesses and hopefully have some kind of you know quota system in place just to to make sure that we do get diversity in terms of those people that are represented and to make sure that we do look to to some of these different backgrounds I I just think that they're so important to have people who've been in those situations who've seen the challenges and the things that need solutions to that they've seen and worked within them firsthand okay I want to ask you another question now this is comes from a story that um we published uh, just yesterday from uh, Cherie Rubenstein, who is the founder of One Roof in, in Melbourne. And so she was founding um, uh, like a female co-working space or an all-women co-working space uh, similar to The Wing in the United States. Now, Love it. Have you uh, – COVID hit, so obviously not 
necessarily the time yeah. was a difficult time for that because I think at that point they'd they, they were looking to to move into a much bigger space and and she's you know this has been in the works for a long time. She actually she and she writes about this experience. She has given all the capital back to her investors. She didn't have to do that. She decided that's what she needed to do. Have you ever heard of any men doing that? <laughs> I've heard of the concept. I haven't personally heard mm. of, of men doing that. Um, mm. but, but, yes, I have heard of the concept because if you think your business isn't going to be viable mm. um, and if, if you're going to fold up the business, then certainly the, the first thing you need to do is return capital to investors. So it's certainly the, the right thing to do. It's the process thing to do. Okay, so – We've talked a lot about raising capital, so I thought that maybe I would just share. Oh, I feel like I'm. I mean, I spoke at the beginning of this conversation about now calling myself an entrepreneur, but um, you know, I, I haven't ever raised. We, we've never raised money. We've we've never even attempted to. Um, maybe that's not. And I think the right that's the marking of a, of a successful entrepreneur. <laughs> I just, I you know, I'm hearing this and I'm going, hang on a second, sister. Are you have you got some imposter syndrome around the fact that you are an incredible <laughs> leading entrepreneur? Um, you know, in media, and you carved a space, you carved a huge space for women, a safe space for us to get reliable news around what is happening to women in the world, you know, in news. And I think that's incredible. And, you know, can I just say, and I'm very conscious of interrupting you, so I'm very sorry about that. (laughs) I I didn't didn't make this comment to uh, receive your praise. (laughs) But it's, it's not, it's not praise, it's facts, right? Um, and and we, we, we often go to these, you know, um, how to raise capital. And so I've lost track of how many, you know, um, VC heads that will say to us, you know, you're better off building a $10 million business and have only raised 10% capital um, than raised, you know, than built a $100 business um, and, and raise, uh, sorry, a $100 million mm-hmm. business um, and raise 80% capital. You know, it, you if you own all of your business, you don't have anyone else pushing you and making decisions that perhaps aren't right for you, the vision, the mission, the company, the women that you serve. Um, and, and I think that, you know, the best way to fund a company is to fund it via revenue. That is the best way to fund a company. If you have to get, you know, investor funding, and often that's the only way to grow, that's the reason why we do that. Mm. But you've done it in an, in a, in an old-fashioned um, you know, 2020 almost unheard of way. And I think, if anything, that is a marking of a huge success story. Well, it's 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 almost like there was imposter syndrome in the first place of ever thinking that we could go and, you know, go and approach investors. And it's such a weird thing to think about now because I'm like, well, I would write, I, you know, I've written thousands of stories in my career and many of them have been uh, based on business and a lot of them have been about entrepreneurship and I know a lot of these things but for whatever reason I had kind of taken ourselves out of the possibility of ever being the type of business that could go and do that but now that where we are now we're a little bit more established and it feels like I wouldn't maybe two years ago I would have said we we should have been approaching investors but now I think oh actually I think this is a good approach for us that we have bootstrapped that we don't have to answer to anybody else that we can we, we can still say that we're 100% female-owned, um, which I think is important for the fact that we're running this uh, women's media business and that um, we can also – yeah, we, we don't have to, especially given what we do and what we write about, that we don't have to have those concerns about conflict there. So it definitely does work for some business, but I would say it does – it probably slows your progress. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it does – slow your progress. I think we probably could have done 
a bit more by now and definitely had a bigger team obviously if we if we did have that and it's um it means that I personally and also my co-founder Tala have also been in the weeds of some parts of the job and the role that we do that maybe co-founders shouldn't necessarily be in or should be able to move past and we're at a point where we can start to put a few things in place to to aid against that but it is definitely a different journey and I just think it's it's always worthwhile thinking about that that there are other options and those other options might be better for you and in the case of bootstrapping it really does mean that you need to find something to to bring in some revenue to support yourself for starters (laughs) and that's the main thing and there was a point where I was um, mostly running this business by myself and I um at the point I, I was on parental leave when I first acquired it so I could I'd planned to not be earning at that point in my life but it was only a limited period that I could go before I needed to bring in revenue that could at least pay me some kind of salary so that was important especially when you've got kids in childcare and you've got other costs coming up you have to find a way to bring something in for you for me in the beginning that involved doing extra freelance work and I used to write a lot of um copy for different corporates and and write um do you know content marketing style profiles and things like that for different organizations that needed them and it meant that I could bring in something for myself often then that money would go to paying developers or someone else so it's like it's a hard thing and I tell you when you're using your own money to pay a developer or to pay a designer or to pay whatever you need you are so careful <laughs> with how you spend it <laughs> not that you wouldn't be I otherwise but mean. like you just you're scrutinizing everything and yeah so and then you know you can bring in a few clients you can kind of do a bit of consulting or something on the side to, to help support you in doing it but it is possible it is in my experience um I, I enjoy now having a co-founder I think felt like I needed that person all along and that's uh, really made it a lot easier especially that she has um, different skills that, that complement my skills and we work really well together and we get along and we have fun and we we have each other to to bounce ideas off and to approach if if things aren't going so well so moving on I thought that maybe we could talk a little bit about um, and I might be putting you on the spot here so if I am I've got plenty of ideas to share but I'd love to share some examples of just you know some some uh, women entrepreneurs in Australia who we really admire who are just doing really well right now do you have anyone that comes to mind immediately Shivani yeah look the the one that comes to mind immediately of course is Melanie Perkins you know started Canva in 2012 you know and it wasn't an overnight success but it was a, a you know a viable business in its own way a small steady good business that she has just grown and grown and grown with her co-founding team to a, to a business that is now valued for over $6 billion. Um, just incredible success story um, of, a, of a, you know, female entrepreneur just absolutely kicking butt out there and leading the charge. Um, you mm. know, huge, um, huge fan of Melanie Perkins. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I've, so I want to just share a few quick ones. Nabi Mariam who is the co-founder, oh, sorry, she is the founder and the CEO of Cover Hero. 
And I I um, interviewed her this morning rather. So she will be coming up in a podcast that either appears ahead of this one or behind it. So watch out for that one. But I'll try and put it up kind of within a day or two. She, she's just so smart and just has, has such a really interesting backstory and just brings everything into what she's doing right now. She's somebody who... Um, you know, she grew up in the, the, the Maldives. She's really passionate about climate action there. Um, she started university at 15 and arrived in Australia at 23. Wow. She talks about her career peaking in her 20s and then needing to do something else. So kind of moving into the tech space and and now running this amazing business that she did also initially bootstrap from the beginning. But um yeah, so listen out for that episode. Um, Olympia Yaga. Yeah, can't was, wait. Yeah, yeah. Um, Olympia Yaga, who is the um, CEO of GoTerra. I might be pronouncing that wrong. GoTerra, G-O-T-E-R-R-A. Um, so this is so cool. She has this system of like maggots, as in, you know, maggots, actual maggots, um, that turn food waste into animal fertiliser. And the whole setup is controlled by w- robots, and she won. She's previously won our Emerging Entrepreneur of the Year award from Women's Agenda. But I just I think remember so her, much and that. she was so mm. impressive. Yeah, so like, impressive. And oh, she you taught me a great lesson. Her. Yeah, yeah. I did, and she taught me a great lesson that you know, no matter what happens in your business, no matter how successful you are, no matter how high up you get, you as the entrepreneur, as a business owner, sometimes just have to get in and get your hands dirty. And I mean that quite literally because she would get in and you know have to handle the maggots sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just and I just went, you know, power to you, and it, it just created this metaphor in my head. Um, yeah, she is. She's a real role model. Yeah, she 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 really is. And just there's so much going on there. You know, robotics. There's the waste management system. There's the innovation that is like genuinely solving a problem that needs to be solved. So amazing. Um, and the final one, and we've spoken about her. I think in the um. I think possibly in the last episode that we did together, uh, Kate Morris from Adore Beauty. I think that we have to give her a mention in 2020, given that uh, she's just listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. It is the biggest listing of the year, or at least was until a few weeks ago, and the biggest listing by a um, a female co-founder. And a business she started from her garage, you know, to mm-hmm. now being a beauty empire. Such yep. a success story. With a loan Absolutely from family members. There's, there's all possibilities. Anyway, we should wrap up. Any final comments, Shivani? Thank you for this. It was, it was really nice. To, we don't often get to hear directly about your work because we often talk about other issues. So thank you. Oh, no, thank you. It's always so fun talking about women entrepreneurs. And I think that, you know, there's so many of us that, have these incredible ideas and we just get dulled down by the world. You know, mm. um, we'll tell someone our idea and someone will make a face and go, yeah, someone else is already doing that. Mm. I mean, honestly, that's probably the case, but think about what your differentiation is going to be and go out and see if there's enough of a market for you with your specialization anyway. Go and scratch the itch. Don't spend money on scratching the itch, but go and scratch the itch and see if it's viable. Mm. And if it is, go out and do it. Don't let the naysayers hold you back because there is so many of them and finally when you're successful they'll come back and go you know I knew there was something really special about you and you're just going to want to shake your head and walk away but I just think you know there's so many beautiful incredible ideas just waiting to be founded and you know I I can't wait for there to be this big gigantic thriving community of entrepreneurs as you said Ange across all sectors including Mm. healthcare. Um, including, you know, social work, mental care. I mean, I, I know you and I have talked about 
you know, female health and the lack of research that's out there around this sort of stuff, you know, quite regularly. Um, there's just mm. so much that um, that we women need um, and, you know, women are the ones to solve these problems. So, you know, here's the future. Thank you for listening to the Women's Agenda podcast. If this episode did raise any issues for you or if you or someone you know needs any assistance, I just wanted to share some key helplines for you. The first one being Beyond Blue on 1300 224 636. The next one is Lifeline on 13 11 14. And another one is Kids Helpline on 1800 551 800. You can also check out all of their websites. Now, a reminder once again that the stories that we do cover on Women's Agenda you can find in some form on our website where you can also go and subscribe to our daily free newsletter that comes out just before lunchtime. The Women's Agenda podcast is produced by Agenda Media and you can also go and check out our new and second podcast called The Leadership Lessons. It's hosted by Kate Mills and it goes into some really deep and interesting territory examining how to lead for the critical decade ahead by speaking with uh, key female leaders. Go and check it out. Thank you for listening.